0: Okay, it's a few minutes after four and I'm gonna start because I'd really like to hear these stories and and I'm so looking forward to hearing them. Um, I wanna tell you right away that this session is a collaboration between AIR and Third Coast. AIR is now just AIR, it used to be the Association of Independence and Radio and now we're just AIR. And I owe a public thanks to Dolores Brandon who used to run AIR and who had asked me to, to cook up an idea for a session. And uh, to Sue Schart, AIR's new executive director, and Johanna Zorn of Third Coast, kind of held my hand through the process of making this session happen. Uh, AIR is celebrating 20 years next year, growing stronger every day. There's uh, 615 members of AIR, and they consider we consider ourselves a brain trust of media makers. When you leave this room, you can go to uh, AIR, media.org and there's a pitch page there if you click on members and then behind that if you click on pitch page and I will tell you a dirty uh, little secret that uh, even if you're not a member you can actually click those things on your computer and you can go right to all the wonderful resources that Air offers uh, I'll tell you that with the caveat that if you don't join Air Uh, all those things will go away because there won't be the membership and the money to support them. So uh, please, uh, you can join AIR by just stepping outside and and seeing the table. Two years ago, some of you may know, there was a great pitch session, and I'm going to be using up uh, two of my three minutes, so I better talk fast because all of us will have three minutes to introduce ourselves. But um, two years ago, there was a great pitch session here. Everybody in the conference attended it. And the pitching that day was set up as a sort of a power relationship, uh, to my ear anyway, where us independent producers sort of had ideas and the people who had the shows kind of had all the power and and we came to them as supplicants. Could we please have our ideas show up on their programs? And my idea, and really the only reason I wanted to do this uh, session, was to kind of change that equation and to say, As storytellers, we are the people who have wonderful stories that we want to tell, and these are three people who can collaborate with us and make the stories happen in such a way that instead of a few dozen people in our family and friends hearing those stories, hundreds of thousands or millions of people can hear them, and that equation is much more powerful than than simply uh, the the, uh, role of supplicant. So... These uh, folks who have come to work with us today, uh, we're eternally grateful to them. Let me tell you very quickly uh, how this is going to be done. Uh, Each of these three folks uh, work for programs uh, that you hear either every day or every week. There's uh, Peter Clowney of Weekend America, Jacob Conrad of Day to Day, Jane Feltes of This American Life, Each of those folks will hear two pitches from your very brave colleagues. When it's time for them to accept pitches, they'll move down to the end and and you, the people who are pitching will come up and sit in that last chair and, all right, I'll hurry up. And uh, the people who they're pitching to will sit right there next to them. And uh, I'm gonna stop everything about five minutes before we're done so we can sum up. And my hope is that these aren't six random unconnected dialogues but add up to a whole for all of us, a kind of a whole experience. If they have sound, if you're coming up to pitch and you have sound, uh, make sure it gets uh, to the folks in the corner and point to them when you want your one minute of sound uh, to be played. In the middle of Peter's two pitches, he's going to demonstrate Sir Pitch-a-Lot, which is a wonderful idea and something I think we can all use and and learn something from. And uh, I think, you know, there's the potential of having a good time, so I'm done. Uh, this is Peter Clowney of Weekend America, and he's going to first start out by telling you about himself and his show.
1: Hi, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. That's very mild. I appreciate that. I don't want to like a heart attack up here would be very ugly and bad for the conference. And um, it's, I asked a question in a session right there, and I turned beet red, like very like Irishy embarrassed red. And uh, so I hope that doesn't happen now. Um, I'm the executive producer of Weekend America. I have been since about two seconds before last year's. Conference um, came up here and entreated a bunch of you to file for us, which you did, and it's been a wonderful year of collaboration. Um, our show, Weekend America, is about whatever's happening that's most fascinating to us in America this weekend. And that means all sorts of stuff, from big to small. If there's a huge change in uh, troop deployments over to Iraq, if we have a story that we can tell about a community in America where that's really affecting a lot. We'll go there live sometimes. We'll do stories with a family over the weeks so or whatever. We'll do stuff that's about the big news. We'll also do tiny little stories where the change is that a grandmother is meeting her grandchild for the first time this coming up weekend and we might talk to both of them over the weeks for you know ahead about what it's like to be bringing this kid home from you know Ethiopia like I recently did my daughter. So, we're looking for stories that where things will truly be changing or or there'll be a, a real sort of integral reason to hear it that weekend. And that's sometimes a challenge for folks, but we're here for you. We'll talk about it. <laughs> and the, the wonderful thing about it is it puts you in a conversation with the person you're, pro, you're profiling or you're interviewing with um, to, uh, to ask, you get sort of more dynamic uh, interaction with them about what they're, what's going on with them, what's going to be happening for them over the next few months. So, you know, we can talk more about what's great for the show, but I'm really looking forward to...
0: The pitch. <laughs> okay, our first uh, brave pitcher starting out is Daniel Steinberg, and Peter, do not you move down and sit next to Daniel, if you would?
2: And then when he's
1: already uncomfortable.
2: <laughs> so I'm terrified. My first pitch ever, and it's live.
1: Is it really? Yeah. Why? Why is it your first pitch ever? What have you done before now?
2: Well, actually, I pitched something to you
1: guys you didn't like. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Yeah, exactly.
2: So um, I, I guess since I don't know the proper way to pitch, I'll just tell you a story. That would be great. Um, it's a story about our new neighborhood. And um, the story starts with, with a man named Derek Williams, who doesn't really worry much about the real estate market. Because when people come to see him, they usually come to buy. So what Williams does is he makes the experience better, and he helps people find a place that that they're happy with. And happy might be the wrong word there. Um, So in the piece, we meet Williams at his Lakeview office, and he asks us some questions. And he looks at his computer, and he looks at what's available, and we head out to his car, and we take a ride. And it's me my wife, Kim, and my mother-in-law. Kim and, and her mom are in the back. I'm up front with Derek. And walking around, driving around with Derek, he points out a big hill on the right, and he says, you know, a couple months from now, that will be absolutely covered with daisies. People come here and picnic. It's just a beautiful spot. Stops his car, and we get out, and we walk around a little bit, and, and Kim sees actually the hospital where she works out in the distance. And, and being that close to where she works, she's not really happy with that. The land sloped. There's some constraints to building And so we get back in the car and we drive a little bit more. So Derek takes us on a more scenic route and he he explains some of the famous residents there. He shows where President Garfield is buried and he shows the Rockefeller obelisk and tells us that lots of famous people are buried here. And we like that because it means they're going to take care of the cemetery. And so I don't know what you look for in a grave site, Any more than what we look for in a house we might live in, but we kind of like this walking through it and looking at the setting and the neighborhood aspect of it. And we eventually choose a site with a park bench next to it. So we only have a day to pick a site, and it's a site where our six and a half year old daughter's gonna be buried. And all of what Derek has shown us suddenly makes sense to us. So we choose a spot. And it turns out to be a very important decision. It's like choosing a house. This is a place that we and our family are going to come visit a lot. And my mother-in-law is sitting in the back. has had a big part of this. And she comes and visits the site every day or two. And she's met other people in the neighborhood. There's a, a little girl who moved in the week after our daughter, uh, along with her grandparents. Their car was hit by a drunk. And they're buried just there in the spot beyond and it is a real neighborhood. My mother-in-law, when she brings little gifts for Elena each week, will also bring things to decorate Hallie's grave, and when we see Hallie's grave decorated, often her family has left things on Elena's grave, and so in choosing this piece of property, we've ended up with an unexpected neighbor, unexpected neighborhood, and we come sometimes and just hang out at the park bench and take a look at the stone and the setting, and watch the deer walk through. It's just that kind of a safe neighborhood. And that's my piece. Well, thank you for telling me. But what it have to do with the weekend? Well, it doesn't... I mean, <laughs> I mean there,
1: are, there are many ways that a story like that could work on our show. I mean, there, it's, it's about change in life. So, I mean, it could be as small as the fact that your family's visiting the grave that weekend. Or it could be the fact that... It could be that there's an anniversary... Related to the the events that led to this I mean they're, they're always it's, it's just I think that Most of my questions really don't have to do with it They have to do with this story And with your um, Openness and ability to tell it And I'm wondering how you Came to want to do this story in the radio You say this is your first pitch ever or are you? What do you do?
2: Um, I'm, I'm a writer and a podcaster okay. And an editor um, just struck me watching my mother-in-law and watching this other family that we've met and then seeing graves. There there are graves there where there are two names on it, and neither one of them has died yet. That We're meeting all sorts of people, and it felt almost like a block party in a weird way. And we have this relationship with the people we live with, but who expects to have this relationship? And I think if we buried a parent, it wouldn't have been that same relationship, but burying a child it is. Yeah. Went,
1: when, how long ago was this? A year and a half. Okay. So you know, it's a stunning piece of information to find out that this is your daughter who's died, and you, you know, your dramatic sensibility is to, to reveal that at the end or close to the end, and to build up and you, you've you've chosen to sort of using um, small reveals leading up to that ba- that big reveal, and it's it's a powerful thing. I'm wondering why you wanted to tell it that way.
2: I've told her story in a more extended way in other settings. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt to me it, it felt to me like the piece that I think I know where it's going and it doesn't. And so um, I was telling someone earlier, I, I did a piece for the, the Talent Quest, and I thought it was a piece about my background in radio and found out it was a piece on parenting. And to me, a lot of writing is like that. There's a trigger, mm-hmm. but what you end up writing isn't what triggered it. And so uh, in this case, Elena actually wasn't the trigger. Yeah.
1: Well, as a story, um, I find it moving, I find it um, surfacy, in that I, it is, there are many big questions that you've chosen not to come at in the story that I'm curious about. Difficult questions like how your daughter died And Those you know were we to Keep going with this story and I think there's probably A good chance this would make sense for the radio um, You know we'd want to talk about that And it's not that I'm telling you that We have to talk about how your daughter died On the radio but I'd want to talk To you about that (laughs) and hear What's there for you Um, Listening to Neil Sandel this morning and, And you know and what happens with Outfront And what they make You know, I was reminded of the process of sort of investigation into the corners before you start deciding what the story is. You're very. You said that's my story. This is actually written already. Um, As an essay, I think it's good. It's not yet a radio piece, and there uh, there are a lot of things that we could uh, poke around in. But I think it's it would it would take a process of. I'd need about a half hour conversation with you to to figure out if this would work for us. Does it? Does that help? Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Does anybody have an observation or a question? You're walk- I mean, I don't know about the whole in front of you thing. I'd love to hear stuff. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Well, I mean, the thing that I didn't catch was you know, I'm, I'm trained in, in print, but what was the lead? In other words, you know, we get hell if if we go over a certain amount of sentences for our pitch. And, and as much as it's excruciating, there's something to it. There's something to you know, bringing the essence of something to the pitch, and I, I didn't hear
4: some kind of, you know, what is this thesis here?
1: I think it's a really good point. I mean, you know, getting a pitch from you guys, I want one paragraph that tells me who's doing what for what reason and why the audience is going to love it. I want you to tell me why you're the right person to tell this story and how you're going to tell it. I don't want you to tell me the story. I want you to tell me what you understand about it and help me know that you can do it. <laughs> um, and yet, that's not where you are with this story. You said this is your first pitch ever, so I'm, I'm approaching him on his terms, right? <laughs> Saying like, okay, is there enough material here for us to sculpt together what we need? You say you've written about this in other contexts. There's a polish to this that's a little bit getting into my way, in my way of knowing what this story could be, and we'll just break through that and figure it out.
0: Great, all right, we're out of time for that, but th- thank you, that's Thank you, amazing. thank you
1: very much. Sorry.
0: the fabulous uh, Sir Pinchelot.
1: So I won't hopefully take five minutes. I just wanted to let you guys know this thing is here. Um, So last year when I took over Weekend America I decided that if we really are going to be a show about what's going on all over the country, I wanted to have people all over the country. So I did that. I moved people. It was really disruptive and I hope a good thing. It has turned out to be a very positive thing in, in many ways. So we've got folks in Los Angeles. We've got folks in uh, St. Paul, we've got folks in Seattle and Philly and, and New York and freelancers in Austin just lots of, well freelancers many places but I'm talking about sort of staff um, so our editorial conversation needed to be really really clear across great distance so I thought okay let's have our show's process in one place that we can all look like home base that's what Sir pitch is but it's home-based not just for us, it's for you guys. And it's called Sir Pitch-a-Lot because Bill Radke knows Sir Mix-a-Lot and we thought if we ever did an instructional video, he could do it. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, you know, if you're just pitching us for the first time, and I hope that you do, uh, send us an email to w a pitches at americanpublicmedia.org, right? But let's say you get a little traction. That story will go into a list you know, we'll, we'll accept it and it'll go into the system. Actually, all the pitches will feed into the system. And we'll, uh, you know, we'll track it and we'll add information to it as we go. And this kind of, all the different places where people tend to hold information about their ideas and their stories as they work on a show, we have just put that all into this one big website. For you though, the use is that you can actually pitch us on here. And we build our shows out of this, is what I'm trying to say. So, When, you know, if you get a relationship with us, we'll give you a login, and you'll log into Sir Pitch a lot, and you'll pitch stories. Where's one from, like, someone that you would know? Here's Sean Cole. I wonder if he pitched it well or poorly. Um, Sean, one of our favorite people. So, you know, he, uh, this is a pitch that he put in a while ago for Saturday Night Klein, a guy who's always working the line outside Saturday Night Live fabulous story. We've actually already run it. We're putting it into our Thanksgiving show, which is one of the very few rerun shows we do. We're almost always live, which is painful, but there you go. And um, So this is something that he pitched. We accepted. It's in a show. I can go down and click on the show and see the content. Can
3: you read the description? <laughs> it's too small.
1: Yeah, I will. So anyway, it shows you the show that it's in. And then, you know... Lewis Klein usually arrives at the line for standby seats to Saturday Night Live by Friday afternoon. The tickets are given away at 7 a.m. the next morning. He's pretty used to the all-night sitting. He's been waiting on the line since the show was popular enough popular enough to merit a line. He's seen 539 out of 622 shows. He saw the first show, and over the years, he's gotten pretty famous, even a little infamous, in SNL fan circles. Week in America's Sean Cole spent the night on the sidewalk Saturday, Saturday night like that. There you go. So um, he wrote it like a lead, which on staff he kind of has the privilege to do. Uh, but I would there's some information that I'd like you to uh, put in usually, that, the stuff that I just mentioned basically, just how you plan to treat it. Like he didn't in that pitch say what, what his approach would be. He's going to stand out there all night. He's going to go home with the guy. He's going to play audio from episodes. As, as, as clear as you can be about your proposed treatment, that just jump starts the conversation. Anyway, Sir Pitch is cool, but the, I wanted to let you know it was here because once you pitch something, it exists in all of our memory. We don't have to go like, do you remember that thing that we, it'll, it'll live here forever. Every time you log in, you'll see the whole history of sort of our conversation. And any editor that you happen to bump into will know that too. I feel like that's a service to you. I hope it is. We'll do the second one. Great. Okay.
0: okay. Marianne Mowry. Am I saying your name correct? Gardner. Right Just go
3: Marianne Gardner. Marianne
0: Gardner. Nice Hi. to meet you, Peter. <laughs>
3: Hi, Um, I'm pitching to Peter, you know, Saturday morning you wake up, it's 8 o'clock, the weekend before Thanksgiving. Turn on the radio, you're listening, kind of half in your mind you're thinking about Thanksgiving dinner, and what are you going to think about? Turkeys? Exactly, turkeys! So this is a little story about turkeys in Atlanta, um, there's a really nice neighborhood, it's middle class, it's lush, it's really pretty, it's even upper middle class, and it's bordered by country clubs and, and airport, um, uh, train tracks and a busy highway with McDonald's, and in this neighborhood, there's a flock of turkeys that's been there as long as anybody knows, and all a number of the neighbors have stories about these turkeys, and I've interviewed some neighbors. I think I need to, you know, pull some more threads in there. Um, There are neighbors that like the turkeys, and then there are neighbors that have had problems with the turkeys. Or the
1: turkeys have problems with the neighbors. Well, there's that,
3: too. There's that. (laughs) But the bottom line and the short, in a sentence, it's how to live with a bunch of turkeys.
1: Okay. (laughs)
3: Um, okay. Do you want me to keep keep talking about it? Can I ask
1: you questions? Sure. Okay. So you're you're interested in this why?
3: Um, because it's uh, turkeys are really fascinating to me. I find them fascinating. Ben Franklin found them fascinating. Well, you got
1: to pull Franklin on me. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, okay.
3: Exactly. Yeah,
1: you just you're interested in turkeys.
3: These turkeys are. Amazing! I live close. The first time I saw one, I was just driving by the country club, nice golf course. On one, here's—I mean, these guys are huge. They're big. They're you know they balance on these little stilt-like legs, and here he is, you know, strutting his neighborhood. So, So, like,
1: in the neighborhood, I can't tell quite how disruptive they are. They're just kind of there. They're pretty. They're they're like they're they're attacking the children. Like, I don't what's (laughs) what is the turkey impact?
3: Well, um, the Turk pack. When I, in, in, if you want a first person, when I saw them and I went chasing after the sound <laughs> effects, yes, and um, he, they preen themselves in the glass fronts of mirrors. They like shiny things. Maybe they're vain. That was what Ben Franklin said. They were courageous birds, but they were vain. Um,
1: he was drunk a lot, by the
3: way. <laughs> There, um, one neighbor, there, there was a whole bunch of babies. There were like five or six babies. And they, they were in her yard, and she thought they were so cute. Mm-hmm. So she fed them. And then that was a big mistake. Okay.
1: So here's what I'm hearing. Um, there's a conversation that I'd want to have about your own background and your own capacity for storytelling. Because what I'm hearing now is context, right? Like there's these turkeys, and they fascinate you. And there is, it seems to me that you've you've already talked to some people about what the turkeys mean to them. If I ask you some more questions, I may find out what particular surprising things, stories people have to tell about those turkeys. I have not yet heard one of those surprising things, though, right? And I think that, you know, well, there are two things. One, when you approach an editor, they are unfortunately the wrong people to be pitching to. They've heard everything. Like, I've heard so many, I've edited so many stories about wild animals, so-called wild animals, in sort of urban or suburban contexts, right? So I'm like, oh God, I'm gonna do another. Like I just did the wild parrots in in Pasadena story last year, and I always I have three turkey stories already. Like that's what's on my mind as an editor, or as a, you know, whatever, and that's not your fault. But it is the context that you're pitching to. So you need to help me know what's unique about the situation, what one story out of this context you really want to tell. Because like, there's, there's probably a family or a turkey or some kind of constellation of families and turkeys that has an actual narrative to it that's other than there is this phenomenon, right? Right. And um, that's where, depending on my time or my editor's time, we would haggle that out. But you move like three more spaces down the board by arriving with that particular story okay. instead of the general story. Okay. Does that work for you? You want a particular one? Well, I, I, I just, I don't know about our time.
3: Well, I can do it quick. All right then, and I've got some audio too. Oh yeah, um, it's it's this one that had Not the to be harsh, by the way. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm sorry. And yeah.
3: she fed them, yeah. and they got big.
1: The family that fed the babies. Yeah. Right,
3: right, and. And their poop was incredible. <laughs> That's what she said. They took over. They ate all the plants. There was poop all over the place. So she herded, herded them up in her garage. Yeah. And it was like herding cats. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to ship them to a, a turkey farm in South Georgia. But she had, they had 18 of them, and she could only get three of them herded up.
1: Okay, so here's the thing. When I hear you say it's like herding cats, Uh-huh. Like, I want to know how it was different from hurting cats, not how it was like Because, you know, it's like, I'm sure it's very different. You know what I mean? It's a freaking turkeys. And the other thing is, um, I'm hearing, like, a spark of interest. I'm not hearing a full story yet. And I know I interrupted you, but I'm just letting you know that where my head is now is thinking about, like, wow, I might be interested in having this neighborhood, this sort of genteel, comfortable, dealing with turkeys, Talking to some neighborhood that is not so comfortable that also deals with turkeys, like one that works at a meat packing plant or something. Like I'm not sure, but like there, there some complication external to this may also help me be interested. Go ahead.
3: Well, I have one uh, another thread that I haven't investigated, but I think would be good. It's like yeah. local food. Right. These are right in your front yard. Are they eating them? They, well, that's my question. Well, that's if, a good if, question. If anybody <laughs> anybody eating them? And you know. Have they considered? Of course, have considered them. Matter of fact, one of the neighborhood neighbors was talking about. Well, they've survived in spite of coyotes and traffic, and yeah. you know, becoming somebody's Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, people think of it. You know, they do. It's free-range bird, too. Free-range bird.
1: Well, you have a wonderful voice <laughs> and a wonderful passion for this, and I think that that's just the economy of trying to get stuff on the show. Like I do think talking to you more about this would be productive, and I'm willing to do it. Um, and that wouldn't always happen. If you brought a pitch at this developed to this point, do you know what I'm saying? Like right now I have the capacity for it, and I very much enjoy that. But sometimes a show uh, may not have the capacity to do that. I don't know if, if this American Life really right now would have the time mm-hmm. to help you develop the story more. Uh-huh. yeah. Okay. Uh, any questions? Fuhrer? And, I was and, wrong, how?
0: From now on, if you have things, you should go to the microphone in case people I, hear this.: actually uh, even later.:. Even have audio.
1: I know. Oh, I think, well, I we, think we're out of time now. I'm sorry. Right, well, Thank fine. you. Okay. <laughs> it's really nice to meet you. All right. Does she have a great accent? Okay. All
0: right. Let me introduce Jacob Conrad from Day to Day.
5: Welcome. Can you hear me? Welcome to This American Idol. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ryan? Oh. Uh, no, Ram. Ryan. No, no, it's
0: not a contest. It's a... No, we're not
1: that. We're not that. I'm the, I'm the kid that was fired up for the first season. Not Ryan, but the other guy. Um, you to uh, Day is
5: NPR's midday news magazine. Uh, we're on around 200 stations around the country. Uh, we have an hour a day. Uh, to give our listeners uh the news uh, that's unfolding uh around the world but the way we differentiate ourselves from the other npr news magazines is we like to think that we tell our stories from eye level and we tell the stories of individuals who either are shaping the events or are being directly affected by them and uh our um, so so that's our that's our goal in 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 a given hour, and uh, we want to do that with urgency and immediacy and uh, uh, with drama. You know, I mean that's that's the news. Um, our segment length varies from around uh, you know you could you could hear a two or three minute first person piece you could hear um, maybe up to seven minutes of a sort of more nuanced, layered uh, piece of work. Um, because we're um, in the middle of the day, often events are unfolding as we go to air. So uh, there's, a, there's this kind of spontaneity to, uh, to our schedule. And uh, so it's, it's sometimes hard to plan... Uh, a themed segment, let's say, putting two or three pieces together. But we like to do that. And that's an opportunity for for you as as independents to provide us material that might be themed to, you know, some one of the events of our time, you know, immigration crisis in health care, um, Iraq. Um, but... Uh, we also want stories that are going to give our listeners some relief from the events of the day and uh, that's sort of where we're getting into sort of more featurey y storytelling um, and uh, we very much value our, our NPR correspondence but I think we really cherish our independence and um, we love hearing those voices that one doesn't Always here on, on NPR, uh, and uh, you know whether that's age or race or gender, um, we like to think that, that we bring sometimes unpolished voices to our air. So, okay, um,
0: Gianluca is here to, great. to give the first pitch, and if you can move down and sit with them, all right, sir.
6: Nice. Are you as nervous as I am? Yeah. <laughs> I prefer being on the other side of the microphone, Frank. Maybe I'll pitch to you. Okay. What do you got? Um, no. I-, I had a turkey story. <laughs> right. um, no, the, the thing is, because uh, there's a certain fascination with hobos, and you see those grainy footages of footage of uh, guys riding on top of wagons and in box cars. You read The Grapes of Wrath, Woody Guthrie, and all of this. It's rather abstract today, because we... Travel is a mouse click away, it's very cheap and easy and convenient. Um, so I went to a hobo's house, a former hobo's house, who lives on the south side of Chicago. And I talked to him. He's 92, 94. He's a blues musician. He traveled with uh, Robert Johnson and a guy called Honey Boy Edwards. And I asked him about trains uh, how you do it. He was 30 years a hobo and a uh, crapshooter as well with loaded dice. He used to carry a gun and all this. So uh, it's a conversation, really. It's sort of a former hobo's memory that traveled from the age of 14, 15, right through the Great Depression, right through the war, right up until the mid-'50s when he settled in Chicago. And um, I got some audio, as a matter of fact, of him. Is that queued up?
7: All right. The train is moving and not moving too fast. You can run long and jump up in the when the train gets speed, they shut the door about like this year. You have a spike, a railroad spike, you pull the door up, put the spike down there inside that door. And so he coming come in the yard, where them bad cops say, just hang right there, don't get out right there, hang there. Right. So if he's try to open the door to do but rock. When you're riding that, it's dangerous, About yeah. the cops picking you up, putting you in jail and all that, and sometimes you have to ride the rods under the train. I, I thought I could gamble once, and uh, I was young. I got on the freight train. It was Patrick's Memphis and, and uh, two below. And uh, a, guy, a, one-eyed, a one-eyed guy got on one-eyed, one-eyed. he one was, eye. He was a hustler. He knew everything. I could shoot square dice, but that wasn't good enough. When you when you got them loaded, you you, you know what you gotta do.
6: That's Honey Boy, anyway. <laughs> That's Honey Boy. He's uh, and I would probably just tell it, 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 it. Probably if it was just on freight trains and freight hopping and loaded dice and all that, probably I could do it all in five minutes or so. <laughs> probably just him talking, maybe a little bit of an introduction from me have him talking. Maybe I would describe his apartment maybe about half the way in. His apartment looks like... uh, He has pictures of his life on the wall, um, but they're all on uh, pieces of cardboard with saran wrap around them. It looks like everything in his apartment could be packed up and moved in a half hour if he had to. He's an old hobo. Um, Train sounds, maybe, stuff like that. I like that detail. I like that a lot.
5: Five minutes... Um, here's, here's what I hear mm-hmm. in this piece. I, this would be an unusual piece for day to day, um, but um, I could imagine distilling this and hearing um, a single story. Mm-hmm. I, I could hear this guy. There was a point in the tape where he, he sort of started into a story and my ear immediately sort of clicked in. Mm-hmm. Um, probably I probably cut it short, yeah. Uh, I don't know that you cut it short, actually. Mm-hmm. I think that you just needed to, to sort of separate uh, what he what story he was going to tell in your piece. Right. I, I like the visuals that you give us, and I think we do need to know some context. You know? Like, what uh, do you mean by that? Well, I, I, you started talking about the, the apartment and the surroundings. I'd love to know what he looks like. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know... How you got to him? I I, I want to get um, a sense of, um, of of discovery out of this piece, and um, I, I heard little sort of vignette pieces about hobos.
4: Mm.
5: A lot of stuff I already knew. I mean, hearing it from someone who has been there is is incredible, and that's. Mm. Um, that's one of the great things about radio, obviously. But um, for the purposes of a of a of a listener, I think w- we need to offer them a story. Mm. And um, so, what uh, what I would do with you on this is 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 go back and find a, a story that had a lot of uh, sort of dramatic uh, urgency, some suspense. I mean, I, I can hear him telling that now. Um,
6: An anecdote, you mean, like mm-hmm. a story? Mm-hmm. Oh, right. A single
5: anecdote. Yeah. There's a technical issue, oh. which is that he's hard to understand. <laughs> <Yeah>. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Minor. so you yeah, <laughs> you would you would need to demonstrate to me that we could overcome that. Uh, all right. Yeah. Uh, and and the burden would still be on him. Uh. In other words, it, it wouldn't be up to you to translate or thread us yeah. through that story. Uh, and so that's, you know, All right. that to me is the biggest um, hurdle mm. we would face. Um,
6: what, have him say it again, you think?
5: Well, he couldn't. Uh. No. No. Uh, you know, I, 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 don't yeah, know that, yeah. uh, I don't know that you would want to do that. I don't yeah. know what your relationship is with uh. him. I, I, I wouldn't rule out the idea of going back to him. Yeah. Uh. And, you know, not not coaching him, yeah, yeah, but yeah. just being there with him and and, huh. and getting what you get. You know? yeah, 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 um, yeah.
6: There's a newspaper, too, because he's has an album coming out in January.
5: Well, that was the other thing. <laughs> yeah,
6: yeah, yeah. I mean, he's still a working musician.
5: I, when I heard the word, you know, blues, yeah. I thought, we need to hear his music oh yeah the there's
6: some there's some i have a five minute rough there's I, there'll be loads of it on yeah and his uh, his contemporaries at the time are all legendary blues musician blind lemon jefferson yeah. uh, all those guys uh, robert johnson he traveled with robert johnson
5: yeah
6: uh all those sort of tommy johnson who uh, but that's
5: was, background and yeah what we need is is a is a story that that uh, we're hearing in real time all right and uh, Okay, so I, I don't know if that helps. I, yeah, no, I, that does.
6: Know. The, the one eyed hobo story would be the one I choose anyway, because a one eyed hobo, they're shooting uh, dice in the boxcar. Mm-hmm. He loses everything. And, uh, but he helps the one eyed guy out, and the next day, uh, the one eyed guy teaches him how to, uh, how to load dice. You uh, grill a hole in the, uh, in the <laughs> middle of the four, and you drop a piece of mercury paint over, and then you cuff them, and you swap the dice around on people. So, I like right, that's that. I mean, he, that's, that's, he goes through all that with me. He that's news
5: through, you uh, can use, right there. <laughs> yeah. All
6: right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'll, uh, don't play nice with me, by the way. <laughs> so. That's good. No. Do we have yeah.
0: a, an audience comment uh, on this, or some a, a question that anybody had before? Yes. Go up to the mic and please, sure.
3: So, when you say you take stories on eye level, what does that mean? And uh, what what are you looking for? You say you guys are different, so could you just
8: give us a sense of...
5: Well, uh, by eye level, I mean that we're not hearing analysis of, um, of the conditions of the people still living in the trailers in New Orleans. We're, we're hearing uh, the voices of the people. We're hearing people telling, uh, telling us about those conditions. And we might pair that, then, with... Uh, uh, let's say the, the the director of FEMA, or you know, some other official who um, has some uh, ability to uh, affect policy. Um, but what we're trying to do is 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 stay, you know, in in the first person and, and not not get not get into that sort of analytical remove. Does that help? I, you know, um, we're we're. I, and I didn't say this before, but we're we're always looking to 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 hear the voice of the reporter. Also, that's part of being at eye level. I think is is uh, not so much uh, it being someone's personal story, but but we don't mind uh, having the reporter uh, sort of take us uh, to the to the subject. Um, in other words, the, a more reporter presence isn't uh, isn't discouraged.
0: It's good. There's another question.
3: Yeah, I was just going to suggest, having uh, studied traditional blues myself, I, I would urge you to listen to some of his music because it may be that some of the storytelling can be told through the music. Mm. Some of the lyrics may be applicable, yeah. and they may be more understandable than his voice mm. yeah. speaking alone.
0: <laughs> thank, thank you, Jim. You. Okay. Yeah,
1: thank you very yeah, much. much. Thank that was you fabulous. Very much.
0: Next up for Jacob is Keith Brand, and since his pitch had a title, which I love, it was Beware of the Blob. So.
8: You might have given my story away here a little bit. <laughs> um, I teach college at a... I teach audio production at a college in New Jersey, so one of the things I tell my students is if you can't tell me... if you can't give me the story in two sentences, then you don't know what the story is. So here goes. This is about a uh, 1950s... Uh, B movie, a, rust, uh, a northeastern Rust Belt city, and how one resurrected the other. <laughs> uh, the town, the aforementioned town, is Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. And my parents moved there back in 1963. The town was dominated by uh, a steel mill, a large steel mill. It took about 150 acres of the prime real estate in Phoenixville and employed thousands of people and it was a very very diverse town people, Hungarians, Ukrainians, worked at the steel mill, I think even Unitarian Universalists worked there. Um, Nonetheless the town, the uh, steel mill closed down in about 1989 and nobody was really sure what would happen with the town. Well my mom, my mother moved back there a few years ago and so uh, when I went to see her I was very surprised when I went to the downtown at how much it had changed. There were trendy bistros, there were coffee shops, uh, uh, antique stores, uh, and one of the things that hadn't changed was this theater that was uh, uh, pretty much hadn't changed since the 1920s when it was built, and it was called the Colonial Theater. Uh, One of the interesting things about the Colonial Theater was back in 1957, a company called Valley Forge Films was hired to make a science fiction film there. And the pivotal scene in this movie was where this amorphous living goo oozed out of the projection window and started eating the denizens of the, uh, of the movie theater, and they went screaming out of
5: the theater. Some of them smiling and laughing. Some of them smiling and
8: laughing, yes. Uh, well, if you haven't figured it out by now, the name of the film was called The Blob, and the 50th anniversary of the film is next year, 19, 2008. I, I'm really interested in this film uh, also. I'm interested in the town, but I'm also interested in the film. I think the film is a really interesting lens through which we understand the 1950s. Uh, so I want to look at the film that way, but I am also interested in the film because it uh, introduced Steve McQueen to the uh, to the United States. It also introduced Burt Bacharach, the very first hit he ever had was a song called Beware of the Blob, no. and it no, was no, I'm, recorded I'm, I'm, by I'm, the five blobs, no. was the name of the group, and uh, it actually had some success on the charts. Can we cue it? And, well, I, I, it's uh, I, I, interesting that you said that, because a colleague of mine said, you have to play the music. You, and I actually have the music, but I, I didn't bring it with me. Oh, oh by the way, I, I should say... <laughs> that the resurrection and the film, the intersection is that each year the Colonial Theater and the town of Phoenixville host something called the Blob Fest where thousands of people come back to the town and they reenact the screaming out of, running out of the uh, theater scene from the film and actually, you know, has really very much contributed to the economy of the town.
1: By the way, the five blobs were all one guy, Bernie Knee, his vocals yes. were overdubbed five times. Yeah. Interesting detail. I'm just- <laughs> I like. I, I, I can't like get
5: it yet. I'm fine. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, 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 in, in the sort of most crass terms, this is a very uh, ready news peg in that there's this reunion. Um, but I, I, I do also like uh, the idea that um, that there's this town that's sort of um, lived and died with this movie and. Um, and it's called Phoenixville. Yeah.
8: Oh, thank you. Um, Go for whatever you can. Um,
5: what I, again, need to hear is, is um, something that will take us from the sort of broad sweep of, of sort of western Pennsylvania failed um, steel town uh, to what, uh, what it, it is that's going on in this town that... Um, I mean obviously it's the fact that they have this legacy of the blob but I'd want to focus it down even more and I'd want to meet the 66-year-old woman who brushed by Steve McQueen at some point and it was the story that she told the rest of her life. I'd want to meet the... I'd want to meet individuals, and I'd want them you know, to, to carry me.
8: I do uh, uh, have the 88-year-old producer of the film, who I interviewed about three weeks ago, uh, who was the one who found the town and uh, who also gave me permission to use clips from the film because he retained the copyright.
5: I could imagine hearing from him, but really who I want to hear from are the people in that town. Because really, it's a, it's, it, the, the story to me is about... Uh, a town where the circus came to town and left town and it 's not so much about the making of the film I mean uh, there 's obvious sort of wonderful opportunities for using uh, clips from the movie and uh, and of course hearing the the song um, i 'd want to be sure that the town really has been resurrected by this one movie, uh, and if that were the case. Um, uh, that would be a, a pretty exciting thing. Other towns might want to shoot B movies there. Um, but uh, but I, I would I would uh, I would I would want to. Um, this would be a piece that I that I could imagine hearing some layering and hearing, um, uh, hearing a lot of a lot of sound. There's a lot of atmosphere. There's a lot of ambient, and there's a lot of um, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of '50s B movie sound to be had. Um, we, you know, we we uh, we might be very interested in this pitch.
1: He's gonna do it. You can see it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we should say just, if you hear an idea here, it's theirs to do. You can't steal it and do it, right? I mean, we all understand that. I, mean, I just want to say, like, that's the that's yeah. why you pitch to one show at a time. That's why you can't. I just hope that we all. You can't run out and go to Phoenixville before me. <laughs>
5: And uh, by the way, we, we have been pitched on Phoenixville and the uh, Blobfest. But to me, this is, this is sort of a, I, I mean, I sort of like the elements that that, uh, that you're introducing, so.
0: So did you turn that
5: pitch down? Uh, at the time we did. I can't even remember specifically why, uh, you know. Wow,
0: so resurrected once again. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, g- go forth with a strong maybe. Thank you. Uh, okay. Yes, we have a question.
9: Um, for something like that, where the Blob Fest is a t- uh, date peg and it's annualized, or something like a holiday where, let's say, every Easter in San Francisco, there's a big wheel race down Lombard, do you? Um, would we pitch it the year ahead and collect the sound for it to air the next year? Like, how does that happen? Like... Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sure, why not? <laughs> so
10: so
9: it's a year... What, you want to I mean, get paid?
1: <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I really, I not, like, so you. you pitch
10: it a year ahead and get the sound and then use it for the following year? It's
1: beautiful. It, yeah. it, it puts you so in that place. I mean, you can do preparation pieces, too. Yeah. Like for the Mummers Parade in Philly, right? Like, these people are obsessed. They're working on these costumes every day of the year. So you can do a lot without, covering the, without getting the tape from last year. But it but is, you've heard those stories. You've been like, wow, they went ahead and got that. Yeah. It takes. Yeah. That's fabulous. No,
5: absolutely, yeah.
0: Let me introduce now our third panelist. And by the way, tomorrow, when you should all come back, we have three new panelists, so uh, it wouldn't be boring to come twice. Jane (laughs) Feltes works on This American Life, and she'll tell you all about how and why. And uh, here's Jane.
9: Um, Hi. Um, I'm a producer on This American Life. I've been there for about four years, and... um, If you don't know the show, we're an hour-long, mostly documentary show, weekly, um, out of WBEZ and distributed on PRI. Um, Like I said, for the most part, we do documentaries. We also do some uh, short stories, fiction and nonfiction. Um, And what I do, mostly, is work with independent producers and kind of shape their stories and help you write a story and get it on the air. Um, A few things about pitching to our show that should make it easy and fun. Um, One is that on our website, there's a whole guide on what we're looking for. So I'm not gonna go through all of that right here because you all have the internet, I'm assuming. Um, But uh, check it out and and there's a whole submissions page and explains like, hey, we're looking for um, interesting stories, surprising, funny, true, sad, that kind of thing. Um, Also, as you know, our show is based around a theme, and um, we put together a theme list every few months or so and send that out to independent producers and reporters um, So, to give you a heads up. Um, it, I mean, the theme, sometimes it's, 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 you know, you might have a really great story, and we won't be able to fit it in the show for three years because of all the themes that are lined up, and it just won't fit anywhere, so getting your hands on the theme list is a really good um, uh, place to start, so if you want to come out to me afterwards and give me your email address or I'll give you mine or whatever and we can, we can talk later about all that. Um, and then lastly, I want to say that when you do pitch something, if there's like the tiniest nugget in there that one of us likes, um, if it seems promising, we will email back and forth for as long as it takes and, and make a million phone calls, um, you and I, and then I will pitch the story to the rest of the staff on your behalf. So... <laughs> Um, so, so we can we can get to a point where we're really shaping the pitch. The first pitch doesn't have to be, you know, perfect, and, and it doesn't have to be in any particular form. So, hi.
0: Okay, this is uh, Sarah. I'm gonna try to pronounce your name, and you're gonna correct me. Sarah Arshambo. Very good. Is that how you say it? Yes. Uh, well, first here you are. First time anyone's
11: ever got it right. <laughs>
4: hey,
9: NJ. I'm okay. Let's do this. I'm a little nervous. Tell me a story. Don't be nervous. All right. If I interrupt you, is that okay? I might have questions along the way. That's you can kind of interrupt me. I, I might it. be hurt,
11: but I won't cry. You
9: won't be hurt. <laughs> I won't hurt you. Um,
11: so I'm going to read this because I'm kind of a little bit better, more comfortable with that. Is Fine. that okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is a story. It's a story, um, like you were talking about, the themes. I really see this as a story about a family, about sacrifice and self discovery, mm-hmm. and how those things can be in tension. So that's kind of the frame that I came to this with. All right. Um, Kathleen McKenna is a journalist, a community advocate, a single mother, and she has MS. Despite the difficulties her illness poses to her, she still works, writes, and lives life to the fullest as best she can. She's what is often described in most stories about people with MS who make it against the odds, a hero. And this is in large part thanks to her son and only child, Colin, who has been... No, I do not want to join the wireless network. Um, (laughs) Who has been caring for her almost his entire adult life. He's not angry or resentful, but Colin has given up his life for her. And not necessarily because he wanted to, but because there was no one else. There was just him. And he loves her, so what could he do? For years, he floundered with what he would be other than just mom's caretaker. He tried different jobs that kept him close to home, like freelance video editing, where he could be there for Kathleen but try to forge his own life too. And nothing really fit, everything felt like a failure. Um, And he started feeling like a failure too. Mm. Depressed and a bit lost, he did something he never thought he'd do and something his mother would never approve of. After reading an article about online poker, he decided to give it a try. In a few short months, he became Rhode Island's second ranked online poker player. (laughs) It's his therapy, he says. He feels like somebody, like he has something that's his own. In the past nine months, he's made uh, over Uh, $200,000. He's still living with his mom and has a car that's about 10 years old that runs on rust. Uh, But the one thing is he's never played in front of real people before. And he thinks this year he might give it a try. He's curious about whether or not this new aggressive and confident person he's found in in himself in the privacy of his own home will emerge in front of real-life people. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that's holding him back is his mother. She hates that he's doing this, and she's ashamed.
9: She's ashamed of him. Why?
11: Well, I talked, (laughs) (laughs) I talked to um, them the other night. It's interesting. Colin is somebody I knew when he was a kid, and like a bright shining star. You know, Mm -hmm. this great artist and athlete. And uh, this has kind of slowly happened to him as he's kind of lost himself, as he's kind of become more and more his mother's sidearm. Um, so he's the one who told me the story about, like, I'm like, well, what's happening with you, Colin? He's like, well, I'm an online poker champion these days. Um, <laughs> then a couple nights later, I bumped into he, he, uh, his mother, both he and his mother. Uh-huh. And uh, I had asked him, I'm like, you know, I think this could be interesting, an interesting radio story. Would you feel comfortable about me trying to... Uh, to pitch this and he was like so excited because he's this is his new identity he feels right like someone and so I'm like well I would want to interview your mom for this story I think it would be really important for her to be a part of it and she uh, she's like maybe if I use an assumed name can I wear sunglasses and a hat Not, but why
9: is she ashamed what it what, uh,
11: she's anti she's against gambling, gambling and gambling is a really big issue in Rhode Island so okay. yeah okay
9: well, I'll tell you what I think the story has going for it, which is like characters. It's really important to have you know, a character-driven story and that there's you know, a, a, a narrative there. Um, I'm also I'm glad there's some conflict <laughs> because I had I, uh, wondered about that. You know, He doesn't seem to be conflicted, right? No, except that he feels bad about
11: his relationship with his mom. And actually, one interesting thing that happened when um, we were talking about maybe me pitching the story... Um, she's like, oh, well, we'll discuss it, we'll discuss it, trying to dismiss it. Mm-hmm. And Colin says in front of her, but to me, she, she's going to do it, she has to do something for me. Oh. And so there's, there's, that tension's really alive, and yet so they he feel does really comfortable. It. Yeah, I'm hearing okay. that now.
9: That's good. Yeah, <laughs> that, I mean, I heard
11: that after I wrote the pitch. Right, yeah. right. Um, but it's it's really interesting, and, and he feels very free to talk about it.
9: That's that's an important thing, I think. Having you know some sort of conflict, some sort of struggle going on there, because um, you know a pitch about you know an ailing family member is kind of we get a lot of it. a lot of yeah. pitches about that, and it's it's sad, but it's not surprising. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah, that'll probably happen. will it will to all of you. You know, we'll all have to deal with this sometimes, so, and and, and it has to be kind of extraordinary to be like, to make you go, oh my gosh, you know, same thing with um, lives on the internet, you know, where, like, everyone has a life on the internet, and so it has to be something kind of special, $200,000, I want to know what he's doing with that, you know, where is it? Is he single? Yes. Uh, Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Yeah. (laughs) He's
11: very single.
9: (laughs) What's he doing with the $200,000? If he were, you know what would, okay, this is where I'm going. I'm like, oh, well, if he were spending the $200,000 to hire someone else to take care of his mom so that he could go to Atlantic City or something, uh, I don't know.
4: Yeah.
11: I don't don't know know yet. My feeling, I don't know yet, but my feeling is that he is honestly taking care of debt.
9: Oh. Mm Which is wow. very responsible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My Are they good talkers? Tells me
11: to do that. Uh, he's a very big talker.
9: Uh huh. Yeah. And she
11: is a journalist, so she's a little bit more um, plays her cards a little closer to the chest, so to speak.
9: Mm-hmm. But, um, nice. That yeah. was yes. really good. I like that. Uh, I think I would want to get into more, like, find out more about their about the conflict going on between yeah. them. Um, just you know exactly why she has uh, 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 such a problem with this, mm-hmm. and if that were, you know intense enough, and if, 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 um, if it was causing some real, you know, friction and something might happen because of it, um, but I'm, I'm kind of not sensing that that's the case. I, I feel like he could continue to play poker online and be really good at it and live with her, and they might be a little bickery, but, you know what I mean? I don't know if it's, if the stakes are very high. Yeah, I think, I think the one thing
11: that might be the driving fear behind her, her um, thoughts about his gambling is that if he does get to be a real success, that he actually might leave. Right, and her and that's one support is him. Right. So right. even if there was another person there, it wouldn't be
9: him. So. Right. Well, it would be helpful to know if that's what if that's he plans on yeah. doing, yeah. and then yeah. follow him yeah. as he does, that, yeah. as he escapes, you know, this situation. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Does anyone have questions?
12: Well, I was just gonna make the comment that uh, people who gamble eventually lose, and so there's not if you're good enough. (laughs) (laughs) There's inherent uh, tension and conflict and story right there. I mean, you might would have to follow the story for a couple of years to wait for him to lose. Mm
4: -hmm. (laughs) But Mm
12: -hmm. he probably will, and then what does that mean for the family and for you know? Right. His mother and
9: everything so. there, there is a conflict there. It, it's it, you know, the, the surprise is the part that's yeah. kind of missing too, because I'm like I am hearing like, oh yeah, he's in a situation. Good for him that he found online gambling. That's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's not like oh are you serious? You know, and I wanna feel that. Okay. So okay. Yeah. Okay. Could we'll I ask a question? Talking. Yeah. Okay, so
11: one of the things I heard you all say, which is kind of interesting, is as you started probing people for um, in their stories, they would re- reveal a detail,
3: mm-hmm.
11: and you know all of you kind of perked up at the detail. but there's a lot of times you don't feel like there's a room for that detail without the context and a pitch. and so I guess I'm wondering, do you want to hear those details in the conversation you have with people after you like the pitch, or do you want the details in the pitch?
9: I want to hear whatever makes you go like, "Oh my God!" I want to hear that okay. right away, okay. or as soon as you can tell me. And uh, that,
5: yeah. that really is. I mean, that's that's the process of distilling the the story, and, and that's essential, you know. And and you know, if it's one detail, it's you know, make
1: make it the right one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
5: yeah it's yeah.
1: like we're. I'm listening for that moment where you get really fascinated. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm trying to fi- figure out why, and figure out if that's one that can translate. Because mm-hmm. like, the question of, well, why do you love this? That's oh, the first question. The next one is, well, why would the audience love that? And often that detail can is just an indication. It's like the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. OK.
0: Fabulous. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you so much, Sarah. <laughs> okay. That's, That's great. Exactly. That's exactly. Can I
3: just say something? Um, often, even if it isn't a really great pitch, if the person who's pitching it is incredibly interested and excited in the story, that really pushes us over the edge and makes us say, you know what, this person loves the story. For some reason, we may not be quite getting it, but it's really helpful, yeah. and often we vote to take a story that we wouldn't have. Um, and,
0: and just say who you are, identify yourself, uh, sorry, and say Sorry, my love.
3: name is Susan Shepard, and I work with the World Vision Report.
10: Okay. Hi. So, hi. Um, Let's wrap. Yeah, let's wrap. My story is about uh, a um, an experience I had back in two thousand and four when I went to Tibet on vacation. And uh, for a week, and ended up spending six weeks smuggling monks across Tibet uh, into, into India. <laughs> um, and so the story—I mean, in itself, you know—in itself, that you know, I think that, that like just you know, nobody you know, sort of makes it sound, you know, in itself, it's sort of a swashbuckling romp, you know, mm-hmm. to do that because it's all recorded in real time. The person I was—I uh, think I put this in the pitch—the person I was traveling with. Told people now. Remember, this is Tibet, <laughs> and he'd just say, "Oh, she's a movie writer," and like why that would somehow make it okay that like you know nobody rejected being put on tape. I don't know, but but so so anyway, so, so I they it, thought there was money. Uh, okay. I, I think they uh, yeah. Um, so so there is this swashbuckling romp to it, and there's also. Um, I think part of also what makes it interesting, before I get into sort of the other things, is that it's really a side of this place that nobody gets to see. Um, you know, Tibet's off, you know, sort of off limits to, you know, most of Tibet is off limits to people who go there. And the people we end up having to encounter in order to, you know, through the underground, through the black market, in order to get us out of the country, um, are all Tibetan. And they all end up being both heroes and villains. And that's also something we don't really think about when we're thinking about Tibet. There's just very, and there was for me this really idyllic image of these people in the clouds, and this beautiful music, and these very peaceful people. And I'm, and they're, they're there too. So but, what happened? So what happened was, I'm, sorry, I'm very <laughs> no, excited. No, no, so funny. what happened is, um, we we started, and that's this is actually the the. CD, but let me just set it up. We we start actually at a, a horse festival, which is where I sort of just where we start in East Tibet, and this is where I meet my friend, and um, uh, and it's really a short scene just to plant the idea of the piece, even though we haven't yet met the monks, mm-hmm. which is that um, it's it's all nomads and they're all dressed in chubas and you know, and it's it's a very primitive place, um, and then you've got the Chinese army who their job is to raise the Chinese flag. And they're sitting there practicing the day before it, before the flag is raised over and over and over again, and so I'm with sitting and so I'm sitting with this Chinese kid who is in love with his country and this very sweet innocent kid, um, and the idea of the scene is to just plant the idea of first of all where my head was, which is very much in terms of a, is a very black and white kind of image of China versus Tibet and that sort of thing. So yeah, it, it, and it's just like cobbled together, so clip, clicks and pops and whatever, but um, I think if the, you know, but it is sort of gives you a sense of where I'd like and to And we'll listen to a minute
0: of it and then we'll, we'll listen yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah.
12: a minute, so. <laughs> They were liberated by the People's Republic of China, by the People's Liberation Army. They're very happy, so they hold this festival.
10: So they're, gonna, they're raising the, the Chinese flag now. hmm It's very exciting, I think. Yeah? Yeah. I, because for me, uh,
12: I love China. So every time when the, when the, five, when the national flag have arisen, I'm so excited. I want to do something for my country, stand up.
10: And then he makes me stand, and there's nobody else standing. Um, in, in the whole place.
4: And so just picture a thousand people watching this one kid stand up.
10: You know, I didn't know what I should do because nobody else stood up. And he's yeah. pulling on me to stand up.
12: But for me, I will stand up. I want to feel shy. I don't feel shy. It's a serious. At that time, it's, a serious. it's a serious. Do you think
10: maybe they don't feel like they're part of China?
12: This thing is a part of China, but, and this is just a practice.
10: So you think for the real thing, everyone will stand up.
12: But the reason, they will stand up.
10: And then that night, somehow the lights mysteriously go out, and they burn the Chinese flag. <laughs> so that's so that's just and it'll you know what I want is a really short vignette at the beginning, and then my friend and I get to Lhasa, and we we meet these monks that I think he knows from somewhere who are trying to get themselves out of Tibet. And most people who get out of Tibet, it's very dangerous. It takes 30 days over the mountains. These kids had no plan, they had no money, and they were basically gonna get themselves killed. And I have this thing in my head saying, well, Tibetans need to be free. And so I say, okay, we'll, we'll take you out. And my friend had already gone in and out of Tibet. And so he knew his way through the black market and the underground. And so then everything's really, the whole story is really beat by beat, scene by scene. And each scene begins with sort of meeting a new person. And so we have one scene of us going through the streets of Tibet um, and and basically you just get code numbers and then you go to someplace else and you get another code number and it's very bizarre and his English is very good. So he's sort of explaining this all to me as we go along. And then he says, well, yeah, if we do it this way, what we'll do is we'll stuff them in a trunk of a car and they'll go. And, um, And so then we decide not to do that. He calls his uncle who apparently has dealings with like the dark side everywhere in the world. Turns out he's a weapons dealer. And he's been selling weapons to to the Maoists in Nepal, and so he gets us fake permits to get to Tibet. Um, and he's, you know, and then we get to Tibet, and the road's been blown up, probably by the weapons that he sold to Nepal. So we have to leave the monks there. And so then you have to decide: is this guy a good character or not? You know, he really does these things to help his country. Didn't charge any money, and and yet, yeah, you know. and so we have to leave the monks at the border to get them a new permit and we get to the border and um, we get to his friend's house, who forges documents. And I, of course, am still in this very self-righteous place. And it's all kind of a game to me, I think, because listening to the tape, I'm just shocked to hear my like what I had to say. And I, because I'm like looking. First of all, I'm taking pictures. So I have these pictures mm-hmm. of the guy forging documents. I tell him they're for my mother. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, tell. How do you? You know, how are you doing that? What is your? You know, that that picture doesn't look like. And I'm sort of going through all of. Extra documents and um, you know and these people you know wrong document you you know you go to jail. And so here's our hero, and he's gonna we give him some money. Who he's gonna the hero? this this guy the who's weapons? the document forger. The document forger. Yeah, yeah. what you do is then yeah. you send I have a lot of characters in the, my head right now. It's mm-hmm. okay because scene them, by scene but, they each yeah. go away. You know, you got a character <laughs> and then that's and cool. then he's gone, and then you have a new scene and a new character, and it's very compartmentalized. <laughs> okay. Um but it turns out that rather than getting our monks he steals our money mm. so the guy who is supposed to be the hero is the, you know, is the villain and then the, le- the rest of the the rest of the piece is a countdown very quick scene by scene, day by day because we basically have three days until the monks run out of money and they're killed by, being le- by just being sitting no, oh. the monks come across the border mm-hmm. and until the very last moment of the piece I really think that I have done this very righteous thing and so then finally I, I get to interview the monks, and um, and again I can't believe what I said. But we're talking, and they're telling me why they've done this, and it's just, you know. We're, but we're not going to use that part of the interview. the the end of, The end of the story is they say you don't you don't know us, you know you wasted your time, your money, you know. Thank you. And I said, um, and this is what I can't believe. I said, I said, well someday you'll have a chance to help somebody, and you'll do it, and we'll be even. And uh, and they looked at me, and they said they said the truth. They said what a person should say. They said no, we 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 would we wouldn't do this for you. <laughs> and and that for me sort of was a really important kind of epiphany. That um, well, one you know this sort of whole sort of ambiguity and black and white. ...ness, you know and mm-hmm. but but the the part that I was left with it wasn't i didn 't feel changed at the end, you know like oh i 'm now you know because i 've been thinking i 've been living with this story now hey, hold for on with, with the minute Sorry.
0: we have left let's okay have but, some but can I, just,
10: um, yes, I, I you know the, the last thing I was, uh, that I have is you know I probably would do it again, and so there 's this sense of really having to live with my own flawed self, you mm-hmm. know, knowing that i really you know that the, the that I would do all those things again, and mm. y- you know, you just never know when you've done the right thing. So, okay, <sighs> nervousness, chatty, mm-hmm. no, no, don't no, no public speaking. This is no, this is good. This is
9: this is gonna help us talk about
10: pitching. Mouth is dry. This is good. <laughs> um,
9: I'm not sure what happened. Mm-hmm. Exactly, I think because um, I'm, you're telling me about all these different characters, right. and, and, and I can tell you went through something that mm-hmm. you really felt like a lot of, it, it was like a, a crazy experience. Right. Not exactly because I don't have, you know, there was a couple of scenes but like we don't, right. we don't have
10: a character really to follow and um, well, besides we have, you. We uh, have my friend and he goes through the whole Thing with me, your friend that's recording. The, well, no, I'm doing the recording. Okay, your um, friend, my friend, who's doing all of that, and he's not just translating. I mean, he's. I would he need I to I are know arguing what his... and yelling, mm-hmm. and I'm saying I'm not leaving this country till we see the monks, and he's saying I hope they die, and you know, there's a very relational kind of experience that kind of breaks down as we have this experience.
9: Okay, um, I think the, I think the main thing, first of all, so I don't know exactly. I mean, I don't yeah. totally quite understand the. I know you smuggled some monks out of Tibet. Right, I've got that, which seems like a like good. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it's and not totally relatable. I think is is, there, is a, something I'm feeling. I'm like, yeah, there are people who would smuggle monks out of Tibet, and there are people who would be monks in Tibet. For, on this American Life, I'm like, I'm not sure our whole audience is gonna, you know, like.
10: But I don't feel think it's like about... you
9: can relate to the characters true. in the story. I think that's really, really important yeah. is to be able to, you know, put yourself in that person's shoes or feel like you, um, you know, mm-hmm. like there's a, a universal, like,
10: lesson to be learned. I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, I feel like it's very much a personal story. Mm-hmm. It's a first-person story, and mm-hmm. it's really a narrative, you know, so there's really a narrative carrying, you know, through the piece. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very much about sort of how I feel about the moral ambiguity of everything and sort of how I'm kind of uh, changing as this happens, you know, and then the moment where it ends, where you know, two years later, I really don't know if I did the right thing. So, and Your I, I kind of feel and like people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like you have to insert yourself into people's lives, but there's no way to know. You know, I don't know. I mean, I could, yeah. if I
9: got this pitch in an email, or if you called me with this mm-hmm. pitch, I. I, I I'm not sure. I'm cu- I'm curious. Hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe that's just impersonal. That's I mean, I, I want to, you know, yeah. I want to say, wow, what a, what a trip, what an adventure. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know, um, right. if I have any questions about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that, yeah, that, you know, something, you feel mm-hmm. something extraordinary happen. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have that.
10: Okay. Uh, what would it take? Because in my mind, I sort of feel like... Mean, that that's a really important place you're... to stop. Yes. yes. question, what yes. will yes. it take? Yeah, because yeah. I, you know, I do wonder, like, is it the telling of what... You know, it, was it sort of the pitch itself? Because to me, all of that stuff happens in the background. It almost doesn't matter what... You know, it could have been about something else, completely mm-hmm. and less dramatic, and it would have the same kind of arc you know, sort of be the same. I think there wasn't story. a moment for
9: me where I went, are you kidding me? Like, I was just like, yeah, you should, you know, Tibet's, it's good to get people out of Tibet, and then there's people that want, that sell weapons. You know, it's mm-hmm. a part of the world where there's a lot of, like, black market activity. It, d- it didn't mm-hmm. seem surprising. At all. It seemed, and even if you say, like, I'm this kind of person, I have this bleeding heart, and I want to get the Tibets out, and then yeah. and then you do that, that like that, that, that also seems awesome and natural to you but not like there was any kind of, it doesn't seem surprising that you would do that because really? you want to do that.
0: Okay Sarah, I'm going <laughs> to stop you there. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. We have time for two things. Uh, are thank there anybody no, okay. who sent you up cards? I'd love to. Could you pick one? We have time for a no five minute card wild card pitch and then a five minute wrap up. So pick a card a shovel, th- shuffle them mm-hmm. and then we'll try to deal with any issues that we have hanging over uh, in the last five minutes and thank you yeah. so much. Sure.
4: Yeah. Thank Thanks. you.
0: Okay. All right, Tatiana Harrison. Work. Tatiana Harrison, are you here? I love Tatiana Harrison. Okay, Tatiana. Uh, you, at, at, in four minutes, you both will get the the one minute uh, to stop, and then we'll we'll wrap up in the last five.
13: Well, Jake. Are pitching to me? Pitching to Who are all you pitching all of us, right? I, am, a- I don't know. I, okay, I, that's I fine. Choose? Pitch to everybody.
0: Pitch to everybody. Good. Pitch <laughs> the whole room. This <laughs> is
13: my, my colleague. Made me do this. Okay, so um, what I have is uh, a constellation of issues. Um, gang violence, teen pregnancy, undocumented immigrants, all rolled into one situation. Um, and some tape of a young woman of 16 years old giving birth. Um, and, uh, as far as all the details, <laughs> it depends. Uh, the tape is really interesting, especially because she's like, she'll go like, uh, and then as you're can listening, just stop you're like, uh, just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: can you just you're tell me what, out. I don't want, that. just tell me what the story is.
13: Well, the story is that, um, I have a taped phone message of her saying, uh, do you know anything about what happened with Jose? Cause I think he's been locked up and it ended up that he was, uh, He's being tried as an adult through I'm all sure the... Try. Jose is a, a guy, a 16-year-old a kid that I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think that um, it, as far as you know, what audience can relate to, I don't think anyone could relate to a lot of these situations. Um, but the situation that I had was that I was working with him, but then I started working a lot with her, and she did an audio diary of her sort of feelings throughout the pregnancy she was 16 he did it when she was he shot a a gun out of a car when uh, she was about four months pregnant Um, and to me the most interesting thing is when I have conversations with him in juvenile hall he...
1: I still don't know what the story is it seems like a young woman got pregnant by a boy you'd already been working with on audio documentary and there's the birth scene right. is a is a way you want to use the birth scene as a frame to tell kind of their both their stories a little bit.
13: Yeah, and I think for me the peg would be you know teen pregnancy awareness month or Mother's Day or something sort of along the lines of taking this sort of you know a conventional kind of what does it mean to be a mother in this situation or what does it mean to or is there some specific legislation around gang enhancements or um, or kids being tried as an adult. Um, the pointlessness of it, the fact that he gets taken all the way to the county courthouse every time. What, what's the yeah. idea? The idea that, behind. That we it. haven't maybe ever heard. Is there anything? Um, like- well, as far as the people, because the, my family and the people that the world that I came from, like I went to Phillips Exeter Academy and Northwestern University, and I come from this like totally opposite sort of scenario, and and the kind of conversations I think that we have about what it means to be. I guess in a, in a weird way, one of the most hot-button aspects of it is, it is like, is this like a Mexican thing to be doing? I guess to be like sort of crazy about it. Because I'll have conversations with kids like, well, yeah, I'm violent because I'm Mexican or I'm this because I'm Mexican. And to me, I'm saying, well, that's that's not a part of what you're doing. This is not, you know, Mexican specifically. So there's race issues and... Can I am
4: I, you really sure. Mm-hmm. I,
5: I think you have the the piece. It's the audio diary. The rest Just the of it audio is, diary? I mm-hmm. mean, the rest of it is, is sort of... In the background, I mean, I want to, I want to mm-hmm. know what this woman's voice sounds like, and I want, I mean, this sounds like her, her first-person mm-hmm. story. Um,
13: and the, I guess the difficult thing is she's really, really conflicted. Like one day yeah. she likes Jose, There's one day conflict. she hates him. So that's yeah, and, yeah. that's the whole thing. Record their phone calls. What? Record Oh the, yeah, they don't talk anymore But um, I I could ah. record No, no, yeah and she, Well she'll just one day say that like She won't even say exactly how she got pregnant One day she'll say that he raped her And one day she'll say Jeez. that, you know, something else So it's a really complicated is, relationship Is she saying this
5: in her diary?
13: Yeah but not really raped. I mean, it's sort of like uh, she just felt like it was kind of uh, forced a little bit. But then another day, she'll paint her her nails blue, which is his gang color, and so.
5: Do you hear your own voice in this piece?
13: I do uh, myself as Tatiana Harrison, the graduate of Phillips Exeter Academy, um, <laughs> uh, in the sense that I'm unsure as to how to frame the story because even as an audio diary. I mean, what is her opinion? She's sort of this unreliable narrator in it all. I'm not sure if she's like, well, I really hope my kid doesn't come out dark like Jose on one side, but then on the other side, she really loves him and has basically all these senses of, well, I really hope he can change, but he's written me all these letters before. You you have
5: license there because Uh it's her diary. She doesn't have to be a reliable narrator.
9: Uh It's actually more interesting if she feels conflicted to that extent.
13: I guess I just don't know where to frame it because I mean the kid is now has been alive for I mean you know he he was born in in June and so he's getting bigger and he's he's now able to I mean there's like baby sounds so I'm not sure where you would necessarily cut it off and again as far as focusing on whether it's the violence issues or the race issues or what. Why don't you wrap
0: I, up first,
1: Peter, with this. I think that this story for me. Um, like this is giant bucket of associations and, sort of, and, and resonances and, and you're just kind of throwing up there. And in it, there's, there's probably a mind-blowing story. I'm having trouble as an editor. I'm having to put that together for myself listening to you and that's not going to help your pitch. So, I just think, you know, the process that it sounds like you need to go through to get to that is to actually try to tell the story, maybe with the tape, and try, and and you, I don't don't know why you would know the answer yet to how far Mm. you would go, or what Mm. is the focus. It's like, I probably, probably cutting, if I were in your situation, I didn't know how to tell the story yet, sorry. I would just sit down with that tape and cut on it until I, until I heard what the story was.
13: There's a question. Do you pitch it before let, you let know me that, me or not? Let me
1: stop no? there
0: for a second, okay. just so we have a full five minutes to wrap up, because, again, my my hope for this session is not that we heard six things that are six scattered things, and we go out of here just confused. So let's take the next five minutes to talk to each other. Go ahead. Hey,
13: um, what would be really helpful to me is to hear how what a strong pitch would be, and I don't know if there's time for one of you to take... We can take. go as late as you guys want. Yeah, we're, we don't we have anything we so on. many stories that have so much potential, but then the, the question is, how are they pitched? And I'm wondering if you could either give us a sample pitch of a, uh, any subject or maybe pick one of the subjects that were already put forward, and to do a sample pitch, if it was your story, to get a sense of what a really strong pitch would look and feel like.
9: <clears throat> we were talking about this before the panel started, yeah. actually. For me, when I pitch a story... Well, I don't have like a technique for pitching, but definitely any, any story that I pitch, and I have some colleagues here, so I think like uh, Lisa Pollock is right over there, and she knows that I do this. If a story, like, if I like a story, I jump up out of my seat and I run to like the nearest person, and I'm just like, you won't believe this. And then I just la, 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 la. It's one of the, like, that's what I want to hear from you. Like I, I want to hear one of those stories that where you just you, you know at every turn it's something I've never heard before I can't believe it it's so surprising and it just makes you really excited to tell it like I can tell when you are so stoked on a story and I think and that's... Yet,
0: this is uh, I, every one of us when we heard oh my god Buddhist monks smuggled across the mountains rose in our chairs until the story got sort of complicated I mean where where did it that where did that lose you not
1: to pick on her
9: oh. Let's
1: not pick on her. (laughs) That's. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Well, I think I think for you guys, I did not know. Go ahead. No, you go ahead.
0: It
1: it means so much to us that you know what that bright line, that core of your story is. If you can tell us that in a sentence, Mm -hmm. um, that will mean a lot. And so that I'm hesitant to give you a sample pitch because that's like here's a sample story. You know, a lot of people get distracted by that. And it's like, oh, they want me to really use a lot of adjectives. and I'm like, No, that's just how this person writes. But being able to say who's doing what for what reason directly is... So it's, it's really effective communication, and it's a tool you're going to need in doing the story. That doesn't mean you can't do stories where things are complicated and where narrators are. All that sort of can aggregate and be, be added on later uh, or be part of it. But I honestly think that's...
9: Being concise.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, being
1: concise, and I'm not doing it now, so
0: I'll tell you Jacob,
1: <laughs> no, it's it's the
5: stripping away. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that's what we've heard in all these pitches is um, is 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 the sort of need to 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 disentangle the story from from great detail or great mm-hmm. sound or a great situation, uh, and and you know, it, it is that old thing of uh, tell the simplest story you know, and
1: uh, that's. Or yeah. tell the story as simply as you can. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, a mother is a, this mother is ashamed of her son who's achieved more than he ever has before in his life. Like, that's the poker story. Right.
0: I, I want all of you, by the way, in this room, to know that as independents, we have an unbelievable resource. Uh, Paul uh, Ingalls waved to us. And when Paul gets too busy, he'll stop uh, taking emails. But uh, last summer, when I was getting ready to do a story for NPR, I had a pitch that kind of sucked and I sent it to Paul and he said, if you pitched it this way, it would sing and I bet you could get this taken up and then it was on one of the shows, so. It happens every time. (laughs) So Paul's emails, paulingles.com? Paul at paulingles.com. Paul at paulingles.com and he's paid by NPR. Uh, for you know, because they love you all, to help us do our work and to help hone your pitches, and it's just an unbelievable, f- fabulous resource. So I want to make sure. Uh, again, uh, at some point he'll just say I, I'm too busy and uh, I'd rather do something else. But right now he takes all comers. So if you want to work on your pitch, Paul is a fabulous resource. Yeah, go ahead.
10: Uh, well, <laughs> first, thank you. I didn't know about that, so
11: thanks, Paul, for doing that. Um, I have two interrelated but different questions. Um, the first. We have
0: only time for one of
11: them. Oh, um, oh God. See,
0: again, you have to refine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally no,
11: yeah. Um, okay. Do you guys want me to ask the question about this American life or about general pitch elements?
0: General pitch elements.
11: Okay, great. Um, so you just basic this is great what we've been talking about here, but. The fact is that most of us are pitching in a five-line pitch that goes over email and gets possibly read in a rather hurried way or pitched at an editor's meeting or something. What elements does... Okay, I know you don't want us to all write them in the same way. I know you want our enthusiasm to come through. But what elements does a winning pitch have?
5: Uh, How does it make make for great radio? Mm You know, what what are the, you know, audio... uh, Sort of elements of the of the piece, and uh, and then how are you going to use them to tell the story? Uh, In other words, um, tell that simple story, and then tell us how you're going to bring it to listeners. You know,
0: does that that help? I mean, there's that's it. I mean, it's
1: it's 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 what the story is, how you can tell it, why the audience is going to love it. Don't Mm -hmm. ever leave that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, please.
12: Um, I'd like someone to talk about cliche, and because um, I just find that stuff really interesting. Cliche to, of public radio stories, um, what you're really sick of hearing about and why. And I think that actually relates to your story, which I thought the most compelling part is that you're assuming that there's a question that you did the right thing. You're like an angel to 99% of us in the room. And I think what Jane was saying about not relating to you is because I think a lot of us aren't that good. And so, the, I mean, really, like, smuggling monks is not something that a lot of us can <laughs> relate to. So your <laughs> story is like, that's the jumping-off point. I and then...
4: <laughs> <laughs>
12: well, like, you in the rest of your life. I mean, I feel like the smuggling monks is an opener to a totally different story about being a, you know, the cliche of a bleeding heart, but, like, what that means in other ways. That's just a initial thought.
0: I right, had. and then there was the twist think, that it all turned out badly, I mean, in, in a way, in the end. So that... that it's
10: just okay. that they wouldn't yeah. About yeah. The and talk about, about me and, and
0: sort of break if if that's the story then yes but I'm interested in the monks myself.
12: Well I, I guess this what I'm what I'm asking is a lot of stories about do gooders going to other countries trying to make things better. We know that stories that's the typical public radio story well, in my I'll opinion. Just... So I I'm just
0: Let me respond to that, though. We just sat through a lovely session with Mary Beth Kirshner, who was in here for a minute, uh, doing a story about someone in the last year of life, and you're all primed. She gave this person a tape recorder. It's their audio diary. She'd want to talk to their family, and we're all supposed to be shedding tears all along the way. And in the middle of that story, as she would always do, as many of the best public radio producers do, she turned the thing on its head. And this woman got uh, fed up with her damn husband, who with the steroids were making him crazy. And she took the kids into the bathroom and said, if your daddy hurts you, you can lock yourself in the bathroom. And all of a sudden, this cliché about the last year of life and all of the... Googie eyed things that we do about that last year of life was a story that we were begging to listen to, and this, you know, affected Peter so much. He said, "How could you ever hear a story like that again?" Mm-hmm.
1: That's when I blushed. Yeah, that's um, when he blushed. But like, you've got to totally trust your own instinct for wow, you know, for like, oh my God, really? What Jane, she's been saying so eloquently up here about that moment where you say, "Can you believe that?" Like, that's what you have to trust because we all have our own uh, ruts our shows have their own cliches, the editors have their own cliches. Celeste Wesson, who's a brilliant uh, producer, and and she's at Marketplace, she never wants to do another hammered dulcimer story again. (laughs) Now, why? Because she came up through public radio when that's all we ever did, right? When's the last time you heard a story like that? So if someone had some crazy story about a hammered dulcimer, I might do it, she wouldn't, you know? Like, our cliches, are too complicated yeah. for you to try to figure out.
9: Just make sure you love yeah. the story. Just love the story. And, and like really, I, I think, I would say 90% of the pitches I get, and if they're not so great, I just have to ask, do you really dig this, you know? And a lot of times, I'm just like, well, no, but I just wanted to find something to <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I was just like, I thought maybe, you know, love it.
0: Uh, yes, please. <laughs>
12: Do your shows take pieces that might incorporate um, elements of sound art? And how would you convey that in a pitch? Things like what we heard with the dollar stories.
1: Yes, tons of times. listen to the show.
12: How do you, how do you, in your pitch, I mean, is that there? You're like, hey, I'm going to do some sound art in this. Or do I, do you provide some sample? You listen to
1: the show and... Figure out what you love about it that it relates to. I mean, find that point of connection and tell you. You know, you just have to explain. Like, I've heard you've done this kind of thing. I love to do this. I, you know, I know it's a bit of a stretch for you, but here's why I think it'll work. I mean, you just engage very directly what you're hearing and what you think is possible. We don't do sound art technically, but we do a ton of sound. uh, We experiment with sound a lot, and you know, that's something. If the pitcher doesn't know, we're not that curious in them either. Like, they didn't bother to know us, so why would we? You know what I mean?
5: Yeah, and, and and what I was hearing this morning was was great technique, and when you apply that to a story, you have a, a, a story with uh, with this great uh, layering and these great elements. So, know. so if you have, uh, I mean, I, I think, of think of it as the sort of the syntax kind of 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 radio, you know, rather than something sort of separate and apart. So, can people um,
3: send fifteen seconds of sound in
4: their pitch to you guys. Like what?
5: Like is that radio? I like that. I like getting
9: a little clip. So Especially with yeah, like I, the internet, I, I, it's so easy for people. The to The question just post was, an can MP3, people send you know?
0: the 15-second
5: MP3 or something with their pitch? Longer, but still, it's <laughs> yeah. about story. I yeah, mean yeah, the story. Yeah, the pitch is about you know what story are you telling me, and um, and and then those 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 elements uh, help to to condense the story and make it you know something that can run on a one-hour show.
1: But don't send an hour-long doc and expect me <laughs> to listen to it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's take two
0: more quick questions. I know people are, have appointments and things,
6: but we, we all, we, we love being here. <laughs> no, this is very quick. I still don't understand, though, all these pitches we've heard, they've all been oral pitches. But in written pitch, no one's, well, maybe I, it didn't sink in, but what is too long? One paragraph, what's that, 500 words, 800 words, three-quarters of a page, half a page? What is that exactly? James, right?
9: Yeah, I don't care.
1: It depends really on your <laughs> system. Story, like yeah. ours, we want a paragraph that lets us know. Yeah. And then if you need to amplify and want to, fine. But I've got to be able to not see the rest of it and yeah. know whether this is going to yeah, work it, for us.
5: It's sort of like what our, our friend in print over there was saying. You know, it's got to have a great... First sentence. Uh, I'm a
6: print journalist. We have to do it all in four words, just mm-hmm. about. I mean, if, uh, for for editors, it's got to be they have to get it in ten seconds, or they move on to the next. I imagine you guys spend a bit more time, but probably not that much more time. So, at what point do you start? Do your eyes
1: start to glaze over?
9: When your eyes start to glaze <laughs>
1: over. Yeah. Really. Uh, yeah. right, the long walk up is bad. Yeah.
10: Where do short, very funny pieces go? I mean anywhere
5: they go in our in the in the uh, e segment of our
1: program <laughs> they go all throughout yeah. our show yeah everywhere mm-hmm.
0: we
5: every
1: weekend
0: okay please thank our panelists who and thank our pitchers most of all who were brave and wonderful and it's really thank you all for coming today and tell your friends to come tomorrow